0: there's that thing about we only use 10% of our brain is that
1: which is not true no no, that's a a total fabrication you use all of your brain (laughs) sorry sorry (laughs) there's no you got what you got
0: What the if? Welcome back. If you've been here before, if you're new, get ready. Lock in. This is a show called What the If. It's a bit of a game show. And my partner
1: here will explain why
0: how we, yeah, how we, we yes.
1: We 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 change uh, you know, reality. Um change something about the world. Right, we make my hair not gray again. Mm. We make pizza not delicious. Oh. We turn off gravity, and then we uh, run with it. We we figure out what the consequences of that are, till uh, we destroy civilization. That's right. So, but by the way, you know, we're, we're we're even-handed.
0: Sometimes we do what one might call positive things, and others we do downright horrific things, like make pizza not delicious.
1: Right, and we never know where it's going to end up.
0: That's right. That's the thing. We are, we, we, (laughs) right now you're listening to two people who don't know what's going to happen. (laughs) And the truth is, neither do you unless you've listened to this before, in which case I salute you. Welcome back from the future. I am Philip Shane. I uh, self identify as a documentary filmmaker who's also uh, who's occasionally made documentaries about science, which I love as one of my many favorite topics. And I'm also just a science fan. I'm a big fan. I admire science. If I could ever get an autograph from science, I would do that. Uh,
1: That would be an interesting trick. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just science, not scientists. Although I have some of those and that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very cool. Very cool.
0: You are also cool. Out there in the audience. And some of you are super cool. <laughs> super ifers. You are all ifers. If you're listening to what the if, you are an ifer. Congratulations. Wear it with pride. It means you're somebody who says, eh, if. Uh, but super ifers say, if, if, if. A super ifer is someone who, which you, you are welcome to become, by the way, if you aren't already, someone who has sent in an idea. You can go to our website, whattheif.com, and click on contact. You could just send straight up send us an email to feedback meow, at whattheif.com. Or you could contact us on Twitter, for instance, at whattheifshow, or on Facebook on the What The If page. These are the many ways. You could also find other means. Carrier pigeons are welcome in either analog or digital form. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, so we get ideas all the time from from you, wonderful listeners, and we are using one today, and that means the person who sent in the, sent this in is a super ifer, raised to super ifer status, and will receive a special prize, a thank you gift, in gratitude, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. Before we jump in, I just wanted to mention if you have listened before and you have not left a review on Apple Podcasts. And, or if you're listening on another uh, service like uh, Stitcher or Spotify, I'm not sure if you can leave reviews on Spotify or mm-hmm. Google Play, any of those others. Apple Podcasts happens to be sort of the king. It's kind of a central repository of reviews that that most of the other services simply copy. They rip it off. And that works well for us. Plagiarism, you know. Uh, oh, yeah.
1: Got me where I am today. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So uh, if you could do that, uh, that would be fantastic. Take a few minutes. If you just click on the stars, give us a bunch of stars. Five, I think, is the maximum. We'll take that. Uh, If you have a little, you know, take another 30 seconds and just jot down a few words about what you think of the show, that would be fabulous, too, on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. Here we go. This week's idea comes from Super Ifer Jan Lundgren in Sweden. Jan, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm going to. It's J O N, and so I'm going to make an executive decision and, and think it's Jan and not John.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Ljung Lundgren, L J U N G G R E N, is how it's spelled. So I'm going with my best. Jan Lundgren. He has an amazing question. What the if? We understood exactly how the brain worked. And he writes, uh, what if we understood exactly how the brain worked and the rest of the nervous system, I guess. Maybe it's a bit of a big, as in sprawling question, but I'll send it anyway. You see, we're Americans. I I don't know how it is in Sweden, but I'm going to assume that America is probably the most sprawling country on Earth.
1: Hmm. Although maybe
0: China and Russia.
1: Yeah, Canada too. I think oh. I think it helps to I think I would say the, the key to sprawlingness yeah. is large undifferentiated areas in between the interesting areas.
0: Ah yes.
1: Yeah, so America's good for that. Canada's good for that. Interesting. Um, interesting. Russia literally has a thousand miles of that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Jan Lindgren from Sweden
0: sends us with with great open arms a huge sprawling if and a mega a mega a megalopolis of an if <laughs> a megal megalithopolis and that is what if we understood exactly how the brain
1: worked? What do you think? Understand understanding the brain is tricky, right? Amongst other reasons One of the best ways to figure out how something works is to take it apart. Oh, yes. This is a a, a traditional thing that humans and toddlers like to do. (laughs) Right. How does this thing work? Let's, Let's chop it up into pieces and figure out how it works. And that's bad to do with brains, right? Don't do that. Don't take apart people's brains. Yeah, especially not while they're using them. Right. <laughs> so, traditionally, this has meant that uh, we wait until people's brains are injured in some way, and then see what they can't do anymore. So, all the way back to the ancient Greeks, doctors would would you know check on soldiers coming back from war and say, "Okay, you got hit with a mace here, and now you can't sing anymore. That must be the singing." Part of the brain.
0: Interesting. So th- that would happen. There'd be somebody who
1: couldn't suddenly couldn't sing. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, so, so we gradually kind of compile this list of things that the brain must do because when we see the brain get damaged, people can't do those things anymore. Right. And
0: we can blame somebody else. See, we, you know, when we say, well basically
1: the the mad scientist of
0: fate has done this experiment
1: oh uh, yeah that's a good i think that's right. right we're we're all just um un- unknowing parts of some grand experiment true yeah which would <laughs> explain a great deal right yeah <laughs> so in th- in this sense sort of the history of understanding the brain is pretty grim because mm. it's just this sort of unending list of horrible things that happen to people and given that we are humans, we are constantly coming up with new and more interesting ways to injure each other's brains. Yep. Right? Is there anything more human than that? Industry. Uh, so, so over time, we've gotten, we've learned more and more about the brain because we have more and more interesting injuries. So, one of the classic ones here is uh, this gentleman named Phineas Gage, who was a railway worker in late nineteenth-century America. And somebody mistimed a dynamite explosion, which ended up driving a meter long steel rod through Gage's head. Ah, oh, I see. How, how, this would have to be a very thin rod, wouldn't it? Well, actually, no, it's kind of crazy. So if you, if you do a Google search for this, you can find a picture of him holding the rod. Uh, they take it out of his head. So it looks in the picture two or three inches thick. Whoa. Um. So, in, uh, there's this sense in which it's absolutely mind-boggling that he survives this injury, but he does, and his physical state is okay. That is, he can still walk and talk and eat and everything. But what is shocking to people is that his personality changes. Huh. He used to be a nice guy, generous and kind, and then after the injury, he's a jerk. He's mean to people. He's rude. He's angry all the time.
0: I have to ask, though. You know, guy got hit in the head. Might be cranky now.
1: That's entirely possible, right? So this this could be uh, a, a classic correlation and causality problem. But but gets he gets scientists, doctors thinking about this problem that we th- we think of sort of personality, intersocial interactions. As being something you can decide on yourself, or sort of ephemeral features of of personality and self, right? Um, it doesn't seem like being nice or being mean is something that should be determined by the shape of meat inside your skull. Yeah, exactly.
0: Although, and 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 in fairness, of course, I'm going to guess that there was something, and and there also might have been a feeling among the people around him that who knew him well let's say who, who somehow felt like it's not just that he's
1: the same guy and he's upset right he's like he's a different person he's a different person that's precisely the the sense and we so that's so that suggests that there's something about brain structure that again we didn't understand before and it's hard to hard hard to conceive of of how that process happens and then the 20th century gives us lots more brain injuries, World War I, World War II. So we get these vast numbers of brains that have been damaged. So we, we can learn more about what they do. Yeah. And then finally, late 20th century, we get tools like brain surgery, when, when we can actually go in and start poking things without killing someone. And then tools like uh, MRIs and PET scans, so we can kind of watch the brain in action. So this gets right. So the modern Phineas Gage, which actually just happened in the last few months, which I find very interesting, someone is undergoing uh, what's called deep brain stimulation. So this is where they put electrical wires deep into someone's brain and send electric, tiny electric shocks in to try and convince the brain to do something that it wasn't doing otherwise. So it's used to treat like epilepsy, for instance. And we don't really understand why those work, but we know that they do sometimes. So they're doing this deep brain stimulation. I think it was a a Dutch man, if I remember right. And uh, he's a music aficionado. He's in his 70s. So he's had a whole lifetime of enjoying classic rock, right? The Rolling Stones is his favorite band.
0: Of course, I I guess it's a total scientific stereotype or, you know, science experiment, whatever, medical history stereotype. I thought you'd say classical music. Oh, no. no. And you say classic rock.
1: Yeah. I said, like, okay, this is a story I can relate to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So he's a big fan of the Rolling Stones until they turn, they flip the switch and they turn on the deep brain stimulation. And he became a Barry Manilow fan. Even, even stranger, Johnny Cash. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> he becomes a passionate Johnny Cash fan. He no longer likes the Rolling Stones, but he will sit and listen to Johnny Cash for hours and hours straight. That's like, not, nothing is that strange, but it's like,
0: Johnny Cash and the Rolling Stones aren't so far apart. Not so far apart. It's
1: like very specific. So this is one of the weird things, right? Um, it's that it's not like Phineas Gage going from being a nice guy to being a not nice guy. It's this very subtle change. This very this this very specific little thing because it doesn't seem like there should be a Johnny Cash region of the brain. Right. <laughs> and and I have to ask, was this experiment sponsored by a record label? <laughs> <laughs> Not to my knowledge, but that would be an amazing piece of, uh, yeah. Um, and I should say, when they stop the d- deep brain stimulation, they do this for I think a few months, if I remember right. Uh-huh. They stop the deep brain stimulation, and he goes back to liking the Rolling Stones. No longer likes Johnny Cash. You know that it's kind
0: of a, a "Flowers for Algernon" story. <laughs> yeah. For Johnny Cash fans. Or for Johnny uh, Johnny Cash is not around to to enjoy to appreciate Maybe his wife is still around, I believe. I uh, do not know. Rose. Know. Ro- oh, oh, oh. June Carter Cash. Um, however, yeah, so depending on how you see it, for Rolling Stones fans, however, haha, welcome back. That's the real, <laughs> that's the real guy. This so, is your so brain I, I, on this is your brain on brain stimulation. You become a Johnny Cash
1: fan. That's right. So I tell you this this story in some sense to remind us that we really don't understand how the brain works. Yeah, and it gives a little bit of an
0: indication to how, like, really things that you really consider a deep part of yourself.
1: Mm -hmm, Yeah. And specifically is something that should be a choice, right? Uh, As you say, it's a kind of a self-identity thing, right? I am a person who enjoys the Rolling Stones. And then some Dutch scientist flips a switch and says, no, you're not.
0: Well, yeah. Not only that, right? It's what's weird, right? I guess what's additionally weird it isn't that he then gained an appreciation for, say, Johnny Cash, but he he, it was like a binary thing. He lost mm-hmm. appreciation yep. for the stuff. So that says something. There's also something there strange about what is, <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean about right? these two things? They seem
1: to be, yeah, either or. So if we run with Jan's if. What if we truly understood this? This story would make perfect sense to us. This would we would no longer be surprised by this story. We would say, "Of course," because what that brain stimulation was doing was stimulating alpha six red section of the cerebral cortex, which we know does something right. That appreciates, uh, you know, makes us appreciate bass sounds over treble or something, right? So that's so. In that sense, the, the first thing would be we you would not be surprised by anything that happens in your brain. Yeah, because we because
0: as Jan said, we totally understand.
1: And that's I should say that's a pretty expansive claim. So sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're feeling cranky, right? And you don't know why you're feeling cranky, but now we just use the, the yawn scanner 3000 and it says you're cranky because you don't have enough glucose in this section of your hind brain. Or, you know, in the middle of the night, you had a steel rod driven through your head. (laughs) (laughs) That happens a lot too. Hopefully you would, would be at least aware of that. Yeah. Uh,
0: It's very heavy. Mm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Worse than a splinter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, perhaps even, I think, more expansively than why are you feeling cranky this morning? Say, well, you're so you're you're flipping through Netflix and say, ah, I'm not in the mood to watch The Office. I'm going to watch Umbrella Academy instead. And you might I think most of us, when we have that experience, don't think that requires any particular explanation. It would just say I'm in that kind of mood. But now, with our Yon Brain Scanner 3000, you turn it on, and it's it, it can tell you ahead of time. It says, don't even bother with the office. You're in an umbrella academy mood.
0: Right, right. So, so we don't even have to go so far as to say, oh, Netflix now can control your brain through the Wi-Fi or something. It it, it could simply like um, like those VR systems or. I don't, do they still make this the Microsoft Connect or these things that sort of there's sensors in your house, right? Or Alexa or something might have a some kind of infrared, some some has some kind of thing that it can look at you and see what's going on in your brain and and just serve
1: up what you want. Wow, that's really right. And I don't know would would that be a good or a bad thing? Right, because the part of your brain that makes the choice has nothing to do anymore. Exactly, right? And I should say, so many neuroscientists would say that it's just you never actually had any choice, right? It was just an illusion of choice. Your brain was always structured to make you feel a particular way and make a particular decision. We just we just sort of pretended that that was the result of our choices and our volition. But in fact, you're just a meat machine.
0: <laughs> I-, I saw... Um-
1: Something on BBC
0: or Discovery Channel once, and I, and I believe I got this correctly, that uh, they showed that actually any decision you made was actually made like six seconds, something substantial, before <laughs> you actually realized you had made that choice.
1: Yeah, that's right. So this is actually you know, a few years old now, These these neuroscience experiments. And I don't think it's six seconds, but it is a substantial amount of time. It's a, a a fraction of a second, like half a second. But in terms of neuro neurons, that's a lot, right? And that's ah uh, the the important thing is that it seems your brain decides what to do before you're conscious of that decision. So it's literally a, do you want to have chocolate or vanilla ice cream? And you think to yourself. Hmm. And even before you decide, I want chocolate, your brain has already sent the signal to your arm to reach for the chocolate. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Or it's like those giant computers where you would have to sit and wait. Those old like, the ENIAC or something where you to sit and wait for the printout. What will the computer <laughs> say? Doot,
1: doot, 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 doot. Come on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Chocolate. Uh,
1: yeah, that's exactly it. Right. So that's that suggests uh, that that seems a likely outcome of, of fully understanding brain processes uh, is that things that we think are the results of choice and personality and preference are actually just these strings of neurotransmitters going back and forth through our brain.
0: So one thing we can identify here is we can start to see in general form that one we know the different parts of the brain and and. We know there is some there is a process. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a before and after process. And somewhere along the way is the beginning of that. And so we can just jump for one thing, right to say, Well, we already know the beginning of something. We can now start to predict
1: how it will play itself out. But I'm guessing there's still a lot of right still a lot of it's just that the the brain is insanely complicated there's yeah. just so many neurons together yeah but what we um and then what we usually do after we take something apart and understand how it works is then we can start manipulating it right we can make it behave with similar principles but in a different sort of way so the question becomes: What if, if we really understand these brain processes, can we turn them into something else? Right? Can we change the brain process that's going on? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mind control. That's right. So if we yeah. know that this particular electrical current in the medulla oblongata is the one that makes you want to watch the office, then let's just put an electrical current in that part of your brain. And you'll get so, and you'll watch Jim and Pam, and you love Jim and Pam so much that every day when you get up, you push the button that triggers that electrical signal in your brain. So you really enjoy watching the office,
0: yeah, but would you right? You push the button without even i mean, there's so so obviously, one of the main things that comes up when we start to talk about controlling the brain is, Free free choice seems to be the the major thing here. Like you push the button, but well, I you know we can leave the philosophical questions aside because we're scientists in this thought experiment fantasy. We just just the facts, and so um, if we understood everything about the brain, then. We also we can make a leap forward and say that it would just be a matter of computing power, but both sensors, sensor power, and computing power, big data gathering to understand brains on mass, which is yeah. really scary
1: right. It is right. Yeah. so if um if you can come up with a, Enjoying the office module, you can probably create an enjoying working at the office module, right? So somebody comes up with the electrical current that makes you really enjoy making copies. Yeah, (laughs) And then your boss triggers that part of your brain every day when you come in and you have eight hours of sheer deliriousness making copies.
0: That's so, right. And then the question is, is that okay?
1: Is that okay, right? So this is, I mean, in some senses, you know, harkens back to the the classic book, uh, Brave New World, in which everybody is sort of forced to be happy all the time. And some, you know, I think you can make a good argument that you say, that's great, right? Let's just make everybody's brains happy all the time, regardless of what they're doing. And surely that's the best ethical system, because everybody's happy and nobody's suffering. Uh, But as you point out, that that seems very noxious to most of us, right? They say that's a terrible thing to force that on somebody.
0: Although the interesting, interesting, um, because of the sweeping nature of Jan's if, he's saying we understand the brain completely. So if we take that at its word in both Swedish and English, then, and in binary, that it's so the the one thing about the mind control situation there that would be for instance the, in the matrix or something you you don't want anyone to wake up a little you don't want anyone to to deviate you yeah. don't want their brain or any part of their brain to start to deviate and question this happiness now they're now they're not happy anymore. Mm-hmm. So we could say, well, no, we understand it absolutely completely, so that's solved. Now, here's what I'm going to propose. So let's say this happened, and the next thing that would happen is the tinfoil hat—and I'm only half kidding here—the tinfoil hat or, you know, the, a company called tinfoilhat.com
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: forms—they're not actually tinfoil hats. Eventually, they figure out. But basically, everyone now has a defense for that control.
1: Oh well, that's right. That's at least possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So now, every let's imagine this that everyone's brain. We everyone we understand. Uh, the question is also who who does the every does every person have access to their own brain? Uh, let's go that far. Again, following the sweeping nature of of this proposal, and say that. Everyone can control their own brain completely, but no one else can access it.
1: Ah, uh, okay, that would be nice. So that that would be the, so. This is the libertarian version of our "what if," right? Mm-hmm. Everybody can control their own brain, um, but no one else. So, so that's nice. So that means we don't have fascistic corporate overlords controlling our brains. So then everybody's got. Everybody can make themselves feel and think whatever they want. I feel like a lot of, uh, I don't know, is this just sort of the ultimate cable TV system where you always get to watch what you want all the time and never have a reason to do anything else?
0: So let's say those who do, some, certainly a proportion of people, we don't know how big, maybe most, maybe only a subset. Will do that. And they become like the people in uh, the movie
1: Wally, who are just. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yep. I watching like TV and so forth.
0: But other people are going to say, no, I want to. Here's the interesting thing. They still, even though they understand their brain completely, they still have urges. And the question is going to be some people will reinforce those urges, and others will say, no, I would like a different urge. And so they are going to pursue a particular task with insane perfection. So, this leads to the question that, that there's that thing about we only use 10% of
1: our brain. Is that? Which is not true. No, that's no, a, a total fabrication. You use all of your brain. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> there's no X. Ex- <laughs> you got what you got. But if we understood it completely, my guess is we would really completely transform.
1: I think so. that would be the the, the the suggestion. And then assuming we can manipulate our own brains that way, we can certainly make new brains without any trouble. Right.
0: Okay, right. so people are this is we, we start to go down the, the the cyborg road. People are gonna there's uh, definitely a group of people who are gonna be like like uh, motorcycle or, or car, uh, Mad Max car yes. hackers, <laughs> right? They're gonna start oh, hacking yeah. their brain, you know, with like like guys do with gaming computers. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're gonna have like a super cooled sped up thing inside. Well, so there is a, let's point out, there is a big difference. Is there? Isn't there between is it possible for us to completely understand it
1: and yet the actual ability to change that, It could be a long way off. That is entirely possible, that's right. It could be a big jump from understanding to manipulation. That said, unless the understanding discovers some new structure, that is, that is, it seems like we understand the parts of the brain pretty well. It's a whole bunch of neurons, right? And neurons themselves are not particularly mysterious. There's something, what, what the confusion comes in that there's something about the way the neurons interact with each other. So so a neuron is as near as we can tell, does the same thing that a computer chip does, just processes information. And we can do that pretty well. And is it binary or
0: it's do we have any sense of what the
1: yeah? Um kind of, I guess. It's not, <laughs> yeah, not logic gate. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely um a question of interaction between the neurons. So presumably the the answer to how does the brain work, is a question about how neurons connect to other neurons. So that should be something, it's, it seems to me, that we would be able to replicate pretty well.
0: Right. Even if we say, we we can say this, well, whatever's going on inside the brain, it pretty much uses electrical and chemical forms. And yeah. so it it is, okay, so we can sort of imagine that you would hack the brain with some, we would come up with an interface that does allow us to just like you said, they already have with the deep brain stimulation or something. Okay, we can we can adjust and we completely understand the brain. So we can, yeah, we can very much start. to So there would be a period of great horrors. <laughs> yes. I mean, people would now actually, there'd be a long period where people don't know how to use their brain properly.
1: So, no change
0: yeah. <laughs> well, that's true, <laughs> yeah, wow, okay, so having given that um uh, what do you call it uh, skills, that's kind of madness. Here's another thing. What would you do with that? And I feel like mm. we can say the brain actually gives you a, you can you have a completely different reality. That's right. So I think that's what, that would probably be one of the most profound things that people start to do. They wouldn't, in other words, there are things you would want to do that you never knew you wanted to do. And so big sections of the human race would start to pursue projects that no one ever thought was interesting before.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, that is probably true. And there's no guarantee that those would be, you know, useful to society at large. Because you could make yourself enjoy whatever minute task you wanted to.
0: Yes. So a big problem in this society is going to be keeping it organized. The interesting thing being that we have this libertarian thing where for whatever reason, no no one else can get into your system, but you would join different you would join different
1: Clicks, I suppose. Presumably, that's right. All the people who enjoy, you know, paperclip unfolding will hang out together. And yeah, so I I suspect, as you say, everyone would just kind of sink into their own personal brain state, and there would be very little incentive to interact with other people.
0: Or there could be other people who would who would uh, crank up the altruism. Oh, that would be somebody, nice right yeah. and then they would go out yeah. and they'd, they'd be doing that. Um, actually, they would probably find other ways to also organize people that even though you can't get into the brain, you sort of get to where we are already, which is using force and <laughs> things like that but what would that it, it, here's the, here's the question is that a, is this actually a feasible thing? we are seem to be actually a long way from even understanding how some of the most basic parts of the body work right so is is this possible is this
1: at all imaginable well feasible yeah well i mean the, the answer is it depends how the brain actually works right it might be that however it is that the brain works precludes us from doing the things we were just imagining so we were we were, we were running with our if on the assumption that our general models of how the brain works which is it works like a computer are generally correct but it might be that we're totally off on that right and and the behavior of the brain is something completely different oh in what way you mean that- well that's the, that's the thing that we don't know right i mean what what if it, we we assume it runs in the same way that, say, quantum physics is complete is a completely different set of assumptions than classical physics, there may be a quantum neuroscience that's based on totally different principles than classic neuroscience.
0: Right. Oh, I see what you mean. In other words, because we know computers, we, we project that metaphor onto the brain, and because at least part of the way the brain works is a little bit like a computer, we then say, oh, there... We're getting closer. However, we might be as far off as uh, who was it? Was it Descartes?
1: Yeah. So I should say Descartes' metaphor, for instance, of how the the nervous system worked, um, was a hydraulic one. Right. It was about it was about liquids being sort of pumped through the body. So he he imagined that his model was, his model for the human body was the hydraulically operated statues at Versailles, where you pump water through them and they seem to move. All right. Um, and nowadays, our metaphor is an electronic one, but it might be that the electronic metaphor is just as bad as the hydraulic metaphor was. <laughs> said, actually, the hydraulic one seems to make more sense. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we seem to have some. Com- I did not know there are statues at Versailles that move. Oh, yeah, they're they're pretty awesome.
0: I was there and I did not see them. I don't
1: either. know. I should say I don't know how many of them are still there. Oh. But back in the even you know, the 17th century when Descartes was around. Uh, they these very sophisticated statues that moved around.
0: Like Disney animatronics.
1: Exactly. Oh, yeah. see, that's amazing.
0: Last piece of this, let's say, Jan did mention that we control not only the brain, but the entire nervous system. Right. Which leads me to two thoughts. One, aren't we now starting to think of the brain and the nervous system, or even the whole body, as a single system,
1: in a way. Yeah, so this is, uh, this, is a, this is a, I don't know, looming problem, a lurking problem for AI generally, is that uh, the electronic metaphor suggests that you can just pull the brain and the nervous system out of the body, and you will continue to think in the same way that a computer can think, right? It doesn't matter if your computer is connected to the printer, it can still do its computing. In the same way that you say it doesn't matter if your brain is attached to your feet, it can think. But there's a suggestion that this is the idea of what's called embodied cognition, that in fact our thinking is not independent of being part of a body, but we our, our brains need to have the constant sensory input and activity output in order to think. So thinking is not a purely abstract thing, but it's actually physically dependent as well. So this is I say sort of a minority of neuroscientists, but that's definitely a possibility. Wow. That's crazy. So uh you can control your own brain. Maybe. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now here's a crazy thing that's gonna happen. This is the image I have. This is the lasting image I will have from this what the if. You would could sit at your computer, which is connected to your brain. And presumably, you have some kind of display on the screen so that you can see what you're doing. As you Uh, manipulate... You you can sit and program computers, right? Which is quite fun. A big part of that is, though, you run the program, it does the wrong thing. It either crashes (laughs) or does something completely different. Sometimes runaway processes, right? A big part of it. That's why there's an escape key. So... (laughs) Imagine if it's your own internal computer. You are working on your own brain. You're sitting there programming your own brain. And, and then as you, first of all, what's your brain doing during the programming process? I like guess right. it's, it's on, you, you put, anyway, uh, when you hit run, you hit that big red button, you've got to hope that you will have the wherewithal to hit the escape button if a runaway <clears throat> process takes off
1: yeah i I tell you what I wouldn't give for an escape button for my brain right now.
0: <laughs>
1: my quality of life would improve immeasurably if I could just be like, all right we gotta let's just stop this process,
0: yeah exactly, and start another one or or, or change it and did philosophers ever get to this point of thinking about well what if what if you could change your brain with like I don't know, did, did, before computers and stuff, did they have any way to think about this? Like, the way I think about it is like, what if you took out the disk and put in a new disk? Or
1: Yeah, actually, again, um, Descartes goes into this possibility in great detail. He essentially thinks animals are humans that have certain programs removed from them. So he imagines that you could reprogram them. And he imagines, uh, the program is an anachronistic thing here. He imagines this, and because his model is hydraulic, so it's, it's repiping things. But yeah, that's totally a a possibility, even in early models of the brain. So
0: the world that evolves from this, all I can say is that the transitionary period is so fraught <laughs> with that it, it's like a truly chaotic thing. And interestingly, unlike, say, nuclear power or whatever, which is also chaotic you might say or you know different kinds of warfare cyber warfare and all this kind of stuff this is at the individual level right and it's it just seems like nothing by madness so i ask you could humanity survive such a thing
1: i don't know if i would be optimistic about that i can well imagine us just withering away in any in any of the 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 flavor of you know various virtual reality dystopias that sci-fi writers have imagined out there, that seems quite possible to me. I think again, again, as always
0: there must be some science fiction novels out there. A little tease, by the way, we have some coming up in the future, uh, not that far from now, uh, within the next couple of months, two or three months, some truly legendary science fiction writers coming our way. Yeah, and this kind of question would be amazing. In fact, one of them is a has a biology background. This would be a very interesting question. I th- I'm gonna go optimistic and say actually, what would happen is that it's as if Earth would suddenly give rise to an untold variety of basically different species, or I mean, it's something like that. You know, that completely mm-hmm. different nice. ways of yeah. thinking. But also because they're controlling their bodies that leads right to the posthumanist thing of being able to, you know, now modify your body and stuff like that. And it's just a matter of them getting along or getting away from each other fast enough if that's the issue. But yeah, wow. Colorful Earth. Colorful Earth. It would not look like Sweden. My image of Sweden is the opposite of this. Just peaceful yeah,
1: people. Um, Socializing and being nice to each other yeah. because they choose to.
0: Yeah, who also really appreciate jazz. <laughs> I worked on a documentary some some time ago about the some of the oldest uh, a band uh, in New York, uh, the Harlem Blues and Jazz, Harlem Jazz and Blues band, and they are the among the oldest living jazz musicians in the country. Some of them were, if you look at pictures of like Fats Waller or some of those other you know legends we have, these guys in this band would be like the young kids. Oh, wow. On the drums and things like that. And they cool. are uh, the, the elders. And they were completely, uh, largely unappreciated in the US. It was hard to get people to come to their clubs when they did. They'd be talking. They, you know, but boy, they traveled to Sweden and all over Europe. And they are treated like kings. So, yeah, I would reprogram people. Th- coming back to the Johnny Cash <laughs> metaphor. Yes. Jan Lundgren, thank you so much for this almost literally mind-bending, mind-blowing, mind-short-circuiting, what-the-if. In gratitude, we are going to send all the way to Sweden. I don't care. It's going. It's coming your way. It might take a little bit longer than than, uh, our simple domestic shipment, but it's coming to you. A finger puppet from the Unemployed Philosopher's Guild, philosophersguild.com. They make smart, funny toys for smart, funny people like you and all of our listeners. But Jan, you are super-imper. You will be receiving a finger puppet that is a uh, science fiction or scientist character. And in that spirit. Also, Thomas Romer, who has the Chop Shop store, which everyone should check out. Thomas Romer is this amazing artist who also loves science and space and physics and things like that. And he makes beautiful posters and stickers and now a whole new series of beautiful blocks, like children's blocks, but anyone can play with them that are not the letters of the alphabet. They are objects in the solar system. Check all those things out. If you yourself want to get a discount on any of these things, don't wait to be super if you're like, ah, what am I going to? I got nothing. I got nothing. But boy, I would like one of those toys or those things. Go to philosophersguild.com and use the coupon code WTIF and you will get 10% off anything in the store. And Thomas Romer's Chop Shop store, use the coupon code WTIF and you will get 15% off. Matt! Where goes the book tour next? For Einstein's war. War, war,
1: war, See here, I'm on a couple of radio shows next week. Um, I'll uh, I'll get you the deets and send them. We'll send them out on um, Twitter. Okay. I'll be doing astronomy on tap here in New York City. I'll send out the details for that too. That'll be good. That's very exciting.
0: That's an event, uh, a social event, a bar there's that- music.
1: Indeed. Yeah, we come and uh, talk astronomy uh, while you get drunk. And we should talk
0: to them. I would love to do it live. If you're interested, if you're listening right now, and you would be interested, no matter where you are in the world, Sweden, uh, Brooklyn, whatever, and you would like to see What The If live, send us a note to feedback at whattheif.com. Go to whattheif.com. You can also listen to all our episodes. They are all there. And on Twitter at show. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. The king. The big apple. Next week, I have no idea what's going to happen. Because my brain is a faulty, mechanical, hydraulic system. However, once those pumps get a pump, and those... GPUs get a processing something's gonna come out of that ENIAC eh, 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 dot matrix printer and we will rip it off look at it and say
1: what, what the is, 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 is?